Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly, the French football podcast that has the touch of Randall Colomwani and the temperament of one Monsieur Antonetti. My name is Chris, I am your host and uh, firstly a small apology, small apology, just a little one dear listener, we have been a little bit absent without leave in the past 10-ish days or so. Um, as some of you will know, uh, Phil, who's with us this afternoon. Hiya, Phil, by the way. Hello. Has, has indeed been moving house, so uh, that threw us out a little bit. We managed to get our our uh, sort of sequences and schedules in a line for the first week, but alas, last week it all went a little bit wonky, and then this week, having promised to be back on Monday, we're now recording this on a Thursday. So um, thank you for bearing with us. Um, but I do have that Phil is, with me. That is nowhere near the delay that French bureaucracy can throw at you, there you go. Exactly. No, I think you should all be, you know, happy with the Brexit version. Oh God, that's, that's not not even it's not even touch that particularly shitty stick. Um, but luckily, we do have Phil with us, and we do also have uh, Mr. Rich Allen with us as well. So afternoon to you, Rich. Also, hello, hello. Hello. So uh, what we're going to do with this pod is we've got kind of a lot to go through. So uh, forgive us if we don't go back two weeks, but we are going to kind of cover the weekend's action. Uh, and of course, there was a full programme uh, time of recording last night. So we are going to go back over those results as well and uh, sort of meet in the middle. So first of all, first things first, I'm just going to run down the results without too much discussion uh, of the last two rounds, and then we'll kind of pick it up in the middle. We will also discuss the French teams in Europe at the end of the pod as well. So cast your mind back, dear listener, all the way to uh, the 17th of September, which is a whole six days ago, where Strasbourg uh, beat Mets, and uh, I know Jez was thoroughly disappointed with that particular evening's game. Uh, Ludovic Jorg, more on him later, and two from Javi Diao securing the points for Strasbourg. On the Saturday the 18th, we saw Lille tumble to defeat once again. Uh, Frankowski, who I uh, know Jazz was quite a big fan, I think Rich has highlighted him as well. I watched him a lot at Chicago Fire last year and um, really? can confirm he's very talented. Yeah, he's a Polish full international now and uh, he got the winner to heap more more pressure and more stress on one uh, Govanek, who we will certainly mention again a little bit later on. After so, a pitch invasion. Yes, yeah, we will, we will also cover that because um, mm-hmm. that's representative of a wider subject matter, which we will certainly cover. Um, in the rain, St Etienne lost at home to Bordeaux. Oh, this was a lot of fun, this game. How it finished, I still don't really know. But, oh, well, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just nuts. I mean, Wang Ujo put, uh, put, put Bordeaux in front. And um, then it was equalised by Wabi Kajri. The rain came down kind of early second half, it should be, uh, should be stressed. And uh, yeah, how the game finished, I don't know. But Wangu Joe got his second of the game and secured the points for Bordeaux. Big win that for Petkovic and co. Uh, more problems for St Etienne, who we may also have a word about later on. And then on the Sunday, we saw the uh, the rest of the games uh, a very entertaining, although behind closed doors, match between Nice and Monaco ended two two. Uh, Golovac putting Monaco in front. Andy Delors, uh, sorry Phil, got his first Nice goal before Dowie got the second, only for Wissem Panyeda, as Jess is now calling him to equalise from the penalty spot. Two two draw there. Angers rather had a bit of a day of it as they lost at home to Nantes 4-1. Girotto, Ludovic Blas with a pair. Colin Moane, who I mentioned in the intro with a 
watch a sensational goal really yeah. quick work to control and yeah. find space in somewhere where there wasn't space if you haven't seen it do look it up uh those goals were sandwiched briefly by a, a comeback or fight back from uh, Troyori's header for Angers but three goals in the opening 10 minutes ultimately ended uh, with Nod taking the points in that one uh Clermont and Brest ended 1-1 Chardonnay with the opener for Brest Rashani who else equalizing for Clermont Gastien seeing red uh, if you don't know already that's the son the manager so I'm sure he got um, went to bed with no supper on that particular night uh, rounds nil, Lorient nil, nothing really to talk about there, but we'll come back to one of those teams a little later on, I'm happy to say. Uh, Trois and Montpellier ended 1-1. Tuzgar with the opener for Trois before Teje Savanier, we love Teje, with the equaliser. Uh, Toulet was sent off for the for the away side in that particular game for two bookables. Marseille continued their winning run, um, which only just came to a halt last night. Uh, Tuna went over Ren. I'm sure Rich was particularly cheesed off for this one. Uh, Bamba Dieng, who we may also have a word for, uh, three goals in two games for him with the opener before Amin Harit taking advantage of some questionable Ren defending, I think it's fair to say, to secure the particular points in that one. And a game which we will also be focusing on a little bit more heavily in a moment ended PSG to Leon. One Lucas Paqueta with the opener, delightful opener as well, before Neymar's uh, <coughs> questionable penalty equalised. And Mauro Icardi, remember him? Yeah, he's still there. Popped up with a last-minute winner, and uh, that was in the 94th minute. As I say, we will delve into that game in a little bit more depth in a moment. That brings us on to last night's games and a full programme in Liga. Saw Lille got a much-needed win over Rams. Jonathan David and Benjamin Andre, of all people with the goals for Lille before Flips, great name, got the goal back from the penalty spot for Rams. 2-1 win there for Lille. Monaco beats... Etienne 3-1 in a game I watched with the opener first first goal. So in, did I did I say something different there? Sorry. No, no I didn't. Uh, you, you, at all. Oh, um, sorry, sorry, I apologize. Oh, yeah. Yes, and Etienne. Yeah, good old internet grammars. Uh Kevin Volland with his first goal of the season uh for Monaco. Dennis Boanga equalizing for St. Etienne before uh Wissam Penyeda uh popped up with his customary penalty, his first touch, but he did also score an open play with a back post volley to secure the points uh, with four minutes to go. Etienne Green was sent off for um, what I can only describe as an assault on uh, <laughs> Monaco's forward. Um, so unfortunate ending to the game for him. And I, I did particularly enjoy, I tweeted a picture of this, the uh, St Etienne coaching staff giving a, a very, what I would call a very in, intense um, sort of clipboard type discussion with uh, Bashik, who came on as the substitute. Um, my thought would be just, stop goals going in i don't know what instructions he was being given as a goalkeeper but it went on for quite a moment quite interesting that one to watch but hey ho good win for monaco much needed for kovac uh, montpellier three bordeaux three who saw this one coming montpellier have sold all their strikers and now can't stop scoring goals it's quite bizarre uh, all conceding them indeed all conceding them. Late yes, indeed. yes yeah very late oh, on in this case nice. Um, Valajamar getting a double and he put them in front before Hwangu Joe continuing his good form and Onana put Bordeaux 2-1 up Valajamar's second goal was an equaliser before Florent Mollet we love Mollet uh, with the 3-2 goal and then as mentioned by Phil Kalu with the late late equaliser for Bordeaux with four minutes remaining we saw Nolt continue their good week with a 3-1 win over Brest Ludovic Blas with another goal uh, Crivella with the second Brazier own goal 
yes, I won't go for the puns there, I could. Uh, Le Durant with the goal back for Brest, but an unhappy week for them. And speaking of unhappy weeks, a very happy week for Rich, I'm sure, but Claremont didn't exactly have the best of evenings as they lost 6 0 to a, rejuven a rejuvenated uh, Ren. Uh, Mata Terrier Sulemana with a, a, a pair, Gaetan Laborde, formerly of Phil's Parish, with the fifth, and Florian Tate, who's quite impressing me at the moment, I must say, with the sixth and final goal. And not, an, not a night for Claremont to look back on very fondly. And similarly, not a particularly fun night for Angers and Marseille to look back on as that ended nil-nil and ended Marseille's winning streak. Uh, Lons also surprisingly somewhat losing at home to Strasbourg. That man again, Ludovic York, with the winning goal after Kevin Danso has seen red for Lens. Lorient with the performance of the night, obviously, uh, beating Nice by a goal to nil. Uh, Thomas Monconduit, um, the best name for, you know, those announcers do the whole, um, we used to have the Cavani, didn't we? Monconduit goes very, very nicely with the stadium announcers. Just going to throw that one out there. But uh, Maurice Jens also sent off for that game. Lorient survived the last 20 minutes with 10 men. Champions League, here we come. And finally, Lyon with a 3-1 win over Troyes. A Chevalerin putting Troyes unexpectedly ahead before Shakiri ate up the yards to score. See what I did there? The equaliser, Emerson with the second and Lucas Paquita once again to secure the points for Lyon. And Mets won PSG 2, which is where we will kind of start our delve into uh, certain teams this week. A Hakimi double for PSG. Kuyate had equalised for Mets. Should be stressed as well. Hakimi's second goal deep into stoppage time. Dylan Bron saw red, as indeed did Antonetti on the sidelines for Mets. I think it's fair to say Okiju was slightly fortunate to stay on the pitch, as were a number of PSG players. Which is where we will start. Thank God I can take a breath now. Rich, I'm going to come to you because uh, I feel like you can be Jez's spirit animal here. <laughs> um, we will start he with PSG. He is not a happy life. He's really not. Um, we will talk the Leon game in a second, but I want to start with, with last night's performance. Um, Rich, would it be fair for me to sort of say to you, PSG, seven games, seven wins, 20 goals scored, seven conceded. But they have not impressed me once. Um, and it, would it be fair to say that they are extremely unlikable in France right now? And, and feel free to let our listeners know if they haven't seen the Mets game, just some of those reasons why they might be slightly disliked even more than usual. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because we, we all expect a PSG to, you know, in theory, win every game they go into in the league. But we're expecting them to win by playing good football. At the moment, they're getting the win by playing not particularly good football. Some pretty questionable um, attitudes, shall we say. And uh, an extraordinary amount of good fortune from um, the referees. And that's, I think, the frustrating part. And it's very easy to dislike PSG at this current time because of that combination. You know, for, for all the talent in their squad. And it's probably a long time since we've seen a squad with as much talent at their disposal as this PSG team. It's still not fantastic football. And that, that that's frustrating. Instead, if we're focusing just on the Mets game, we're seeing players clearly committing card-worthy fouls 
not being brought to task by the referee. We're seeing referees instead giving those cards seemingly to the opposition. We're seeing a pretty unlikable Mbappe at the moment. Um, There was a moment in the second half where ball was out of play and all he had to do was just pass the ball back to Mets. Uh, back, back to the, the, the Mets keeper, as is customary. Instead, he tries to chip it, aiming at goal, forcing Akija to backpedal, and fortunately, um, produce a, a very good save, but it didn't need to be that. Why has he done that? And Mbappe, you know, Mets players and, uh, and fans and coach staff were furious, and rightly so. And Mbappe's doing it. What, what? What, what you, you know, what's the matter? What's the matter? It's like just common sense, isn't it? You know, it's 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 the done thing, isn't it? You don't play an awkward back pass like that. Just going for goal or not, you don't play a pass back like that when you're giving the ball back to the opposition. It's needless. Then we had um, the drama of the the Hakimi goal in deep into injury time. And we had yet more unsavoury moments of Neymar, you know, mocking. It looked it looked like he was mocking um, the Mets players and Bappe laughing at them. It's just an attitude that they don't need to have. And for me, it's just a, a further sign of a squad that is very, very quickly alienating a fan base. Now, I would hope there would be some PSG fans who could recognise all of that and would be just as as damning of, of, of the players, the attitude, the style of football they're playing and would openly be admitting, yes, they have been fortunate with, with things like refereeing decisions. But it's it, for me, it's that attitude and we are slowly starting to see it more and more and more from players that we would hope that we wouldn't be seeing it from, and Mbappe being the main sort of culprit, if you like. And it's all becoming very, very distasteful. Um, PSG don't need to resort to any of that. They've got the, the, the quality to beat these teams on the pitch with fair, fluent, fantastic football. But they're not. They're choosing a sort of almost sly, fortuitous, borderline nasty style that's just not leaving a particularly good taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I mean, I don't know how it changes. You know, these are players who are absolutely dwarfing anybody else in the league in terms of their earnings. And it's becoming, I believe, and this is just me, I believe it's becoming more and more apparent that they're not really giving a damn about the league mm. and they're treating it with an element of disdain. And that doesn't sit well with me at all. You treat the league with respect, regardless of how, quote-unquote, easy you find it. You treat the league with respect. You treat every team with respect and I'm not getting the feeling that certain players in that PSG squad are doing that 
you have Forbes release their um, highest highest earners in sport. Um, and I think certainly football-wise, I think it was it three of the top five, it might have been three of the top four, were Mbappe, Messi, Neymar. And it, it very quickly feels like there's a bubble emerging within... I mean, I could even say just within that PSG squad, because I wouldn't want to tarnish everybody in that squad with the same brush. But it seems as though there is a bubble and Mbappe has been very firmly bought into the middle of that. And it's it's not a good look, you know, and we'll, we'll come to the European stuff a, a bit later, but you only have to look back at their, their European performance. And again, you feel like there is a feeling that off the back of, what was it, a final and a semi-final the last two years? Yeah. There's a feeling that, Again, they're starting to not treat teams in the group stages yeah. with respect. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depend whose viewpoint you're coming from, there are teams of sufficient quality in the group stage of Champions League that can punish that lack of respect. And we saw that with, with Bruges' brilliant performance, I thought. Mm. You know, PSG were off the boil, didn't seem particularly focused, and they were duly punished. Now, I just want to see a change in attitude. And I want to see a change in... They, we've, got, we've got VAR, and it seems as though we've had such a hard line adopted in the last couple of years with it. And there was such talk over the, over the summer about, oh, it needs to, it needs to, you know, some of the power needs to go back to the referee, this, that, and the other. And it seems as though we've now swung way too far back the other way, in so much as there are clear VAR decisions <laughs> that are not being reviewed. And we can then take that back, brings in quite nicely, then the Leon game. Yeah. Because that was, frankly, um... frankly, quite how Neymar has won that penalty for fouling Mano Gusto and it was him fouling he was dragging him down yet Neymar's gone down bit of a you know bit of a grin bit of a grimace bit of a complaint and he's got a penalty and again it, it was just not not deserved it wasn't for some reason reviewed um, and, and again it just leaves you questioning why are PSG getting a seemingly, um, you know, these, these decisions are going PSG's way, which on top of everything else, really, really just leaves, as I say, it's that bad taste that it leaves. You know, PSG don't need favourable refereeing performances. Mm. PSG don't need VAR turning a blind eye on certain things for them. No. They don't they don't need that. So why why is it happening where there are other teams seemingly who aren't getting that that courtesy? Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot about it to question. There's a lot about it that needs to change. But for me, one of the key things that needs to change is that PSG attitude because at the minute, you know, they are becoming a very very unlikable entity. Yeah, yeah, I think that's very, very well summed up. And I think the the 
the day after PSGRL, mm. well, I logged into Twitter and in France, Clément Turpin, the referee, was trending. That is not a good look. No, not for the first time, we might add. He's a, a popular figure in terms of um, negatives, shall we say. What did you make of that decision, Phil? Because I mean, I, at the time, I was, you know, I was a little bit torn because I was like, it's it's clever from a, a centre forward in terms of what Neymar does in you know in fact in the the way that he gets across Malagusto. But when you see the replays from the other angles, Rich said it, it's not it's not even debatable about who's fouling who. And and don't get me wrong, I, I actually had some sympathy with Turpan because from the angle that he would have seen it and from the angle that the the wonderful people at BT Sport, well, actually probably the World Service, to be fair, um, showed it on pitch. Like you you only really saw the, from behind the goal, was was the angle that you really saw Neymar sort of all over him. But it's like Rich said, the, the VAR thing, I just can't, I can't get my head around this. And there was a few challenges in the Mets game last night. You know, I, I really want President Kimpembe to have a great career, but he needs to stop being an absolute twat on the pitch because the man just can't tackle. And yet he gets away with foul after foul and then and VAR is doing nothing about it. So yeah. what, was you, what did you make of some of those decisions across those, those particular games, especially the OL game? No, I think uh, what Rich said is, is uh, very valid. It's that if you're going to give a penalty when... There is clearly, even if from your angle it looks like Neymar's been fouled, there's so many arms being waved around that you should check it. You should, you know, ask the magic fairy in your ear what's going on. Element of doubt, and, yeah. and maybe get another angle on it, because if you got another angle on it, then, ah. He probably still gives it. <laughs> I, know, I know what you mean, but you're right. Yeah, yeah. That was that was the bit that I couldn't. It was. I know a lot of Lyon fans were fuming. A lot of Mets fans are fuming after last night. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's it. These things can happen, but when they happen in the favour of the team that is already streets ahead. Mm. it makes more of an impact. Yeah. Reminds like, me of the days Man United used to go. it might be one week Saint-Etienne bitching about the referee against Reims and the next week Bordeaux were bitching about the referee giving Saint-Etienne a penalty. Mm. If it starts to look like a pattern and that pattern benefits the team everyone thinks is going to win anyway, yeah. then that does become more of a talking point than the general ups and downs of, well, refereeing decisions will level themselves out by the end of the season. Yeah. And that's um, kind of where we are. It's it's maybe not wrong, but it's bad optics, if you'd say in politics, maybe. Yeah. And and the truth is, you know, it's that if a tree falls in the forest, does anyone hear it? In the nicest possible way, only people like ourselves would give a monkey's if St Etienne don't get a penalty against Rennes. Please don't take me back to my first year of study. <laughs> so true, though, isn't it? Like, no, no one would care. There's always a squirrel. There is always That's a squirrel. My... Yeah. yeah, I saw a dead one. They can't week, but... prove fucking nothing. 
um, before we do move on from PSG, because I'm conscious we don't want to make it a, a PSG podcast, we probably could, in fairness, if we wanted to. Um, Rich, I just want to ask you one other question. Uh, it's a straightforward one. Is uh, Pochettino under pressure? Because I mean, I, I very nearly, I very nearly pulled the trigger on the tweet that I've got loaded ready of you can take the manager out of Spurs, but you can't take the Spurs out of the manager. I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but it's, it's definitely ready for the inevitable Champions League failure again. Is he is he in the under pressure? Because we did see that messy incident. It's since come out that he had a bit of a kick, and yeah, you know, I think Julian Ross was sort of quoted as saying that that he's made some inquiries and there's no issue between manager and player. But he looks like a manager to me who is um I'm not going to say out of his depth, but he he doesn't look like a manager who is relaxed on the sidelines. Like you look at what Tuchel's doing at, at Chelsea where it's clearly a good fit. And obviously he was, he was at PSG. When you saw Tuchel on the touchline for, for PSG, he was a different character, uh, even though I am right to a degree. Pochettino sort of strikes me as a guy who, I don't know whether he sort of like looks in the mirror every day and thinks, oh, I'm PSG manager. Okay, I'd better do something. He just looks a little bit lost. Would you say he's under pressure, even despite seven straight wins in the league? Well, yeah, I mean, there's an element to it because I think you look at the, the position that the team was when he he was brought in. Fast forward a few months, and all of a sudden, he's managing Messi. He's managing Donnarumma. He's managing Hakimi. They, they it perhaps wasn't foreseeable for him to be in the position of managing certainly the likes of Messi and Donnarumma. You know that though those moves weren't necessarily done and dusted or even on the cards. Um, so I think there is an element of it's it's all of a sudden what was a very big job has now become, you know, this sort of global all eyes on him job. And so that pressure does, does increase. Um, and I suppose you also have to compare. And, and unlike you, Chris, I'm, I'm not here to absolutely... Um, slaughter Tottenham but there is obviously a massive step up in quality from managing that Tottenham squad to managing even the pre-Messi PSG squad yeah Um, and so you know there was an element that he needed to get used to managing PSG first and now he's added you know the biggest name in football Um, he's added that He's been you know, that's that's been added on his plate as well, so it's there is a bit of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. But he's still a very good manager that should be able to adapt, that should be able to manage these players, and that should be able to coach them into playing attractive football. And at the moment, that's the part that doesn't seem to be quite ringing true. Whether the players are singing from the same hymn sheet as him, I'm not sure. Um, And you then start to wonder, has that player power, which was always drifting heavily towards the players at PSG, we have seen through the last three or four PSG managers that player power certainly um, was rife within that squad. Has it now taken up another step? And actually, unlike before, the players just don't seem to give a damn. Mm. You know, it's just something I think you have to keep in mind. And I think if you keep it in mind and then see the performances, you start to think, actually, there could be something to this. 
So there is a there is a part of me that does feel a little bit sorry for Pochettino because this I mean it's it's a silly thing to complain about but this wasn't the job that perhaps he initially signed up for. Mm. It's suddenly become I don't know if there is any manager in world football now that has the spotlight on him as much as Pochettino and I think that perhaps is something that has caught him off guard a little. Um, so I think, yeah, there is pressure. Um, as far as El Khalifi goes and Leonardo goes, as long as he's winning, they won't mind. No, true. Um, it's the rest of us that have just got to get used to the fact that they're not playing nice football. They've got lousy attitudes. Mm. That's on us then to 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 from from if you're if you're in El Khalifi's position, that's on us to get used to. Not for PSG to change. Yeah. If they're winning, they're winning. And ultimately, all he cares about is what happens in March, April, May um, when it gets to the business end of the Champions League. Yeah. Yeah, no, so, I think that's... Big, big pressure on Pochettino, but I do have... I'm not saying it's a massive amount of sympathy, but there is some sympathy I have for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And um, to draw a line under PSG, I think I'd echo what what you both said, and and particularly in the case of of Mbappe, uh, you know, he, he's a, he's an immensely gifted, talented young individual, and I I do just get that sort of I don't know a little bit of an element of since he hasn't got that Real Madrid move now, but we all know he's going to get it next year. He's almost I feel like he's almost kind of just not giving a toss now, and and he's just. Is just playing how he wants to, and and like you say, that picture that went live earlier on of him sort of hiding behind Neymar was quite the image that got quite the traction. Oh, Come on, Dad! Go on, get him, get him. It's just yeah, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? It was a bit like that. But let's um let's move on from PSG. Um, Phil, I want to just sorry, him. sorry, just one very thing. I did yeah. actually tweet out. Um, might have been a week ago or so, and it was just a bit of, you know in hindsight and a bit hypothetical, but part of me wondered, should PSG have taken that 200 million from Madrid, mm, yeah. used that then to bring in Haaland, used that to bring in Camavinga. An actual midfield. And use yeah. that to bring in, A, another defensive midfielder. Mm. And I, I would be certain they're gonna be, they'd have found themselves in a much stronger position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no doubt about it, between Mbappe... And Haaland, Haaland is the better player at the moment. Mm. Um, and as far as I can see, it's only going to go Haaland's way further forward because I'm sure he has a bit of an attitude issue as well, but he doesn't let it come across when he's on the pitch. Well, he, he, his attitude appears to be, I will win at all costs, get yeah. out of my way, mere mortals. Whereas and Bassi yeah. so to have clocked up. Mm. Instead, instead of PSG in the summer now losing Mbappe for free, uh, for nothing, instead they could have taken that money from Madrid, they could have invested it in Haaland. All of a sudden now next summer, Haaland's going to be in massive, massive um, demand. You know, Man City are going to be wanting him, almost mm. certainly. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Barcelona will be given a a rescue line from somewhere within the realms of, of Spanish football. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, Haaland becomes perhaps more difficult to get. Whereas I think if they cashed in 
on Mbappe this summer. That takes, you know, that in theory takes Madrid out of the financial equation for getting him. Whereas Madrid could, in theory, go for Haaland as well as Mbappe next summer. Yeah. Or, or potentially in, instead of, I mean, you know, we don't know. I, I have a, I suspect personally the deal is probably done at least between the two, the two clubs or the player and the club. But yeah, I mean, it, it's not on paper yet. And and very briefly, actually, I know we want to move on from PSG, but I saw, I think it's Robin Berner tweeted last night, and I responded to it, and he said that PSG haven't been impressive. To me, um, a PSG without Verratti is is a PSG without a midfield. Like, you, you can have your Messi's, your Neymar's, your Mbappe. Verratti is so key to everything mm-hmm. they do in midfield. Um, and I would even argue that um, Leandro Paredes missing from that midfield is a big say. I mean, Andrew Herrera mm-hmm. stepped up, but I think Paredes has come on a long way. And although he is a bit of a, a bit of a, a questionable character in terms of how he conducts himself on the pitch, he's a very decent central midfielder. But without Verratti, they just, to me, their, their midfield is a mess at the moment. I can't really work it out. Um, Phil, I wanted to move on to uh, to Leon and, um, uh, and and a little bit of Nice. We'll, we'll chuck those two in together. Up until recently, Nice hadn't even conceded a goal, and uh, yeah, and they came came up against Lorient uh, after conceding against Monaco, and we know the rest. But um, that aside, they've been very impressive under Galtier, and and it feels like Peter Bosch is is getting a tune out of Leon. We've already sort of deciphered that they were very unfortunate to come away from from uh, Paris without anything from the PSG game. What do you make of? Is, is it fair to say that that Leon and Nice are the two? Biggest challenges for for PSG, or that I mean, yeah, we'll come it, on to Marseille it, in a minute. But those it feels two like, ones. I mean, they're in sixth and seventh. It feels like it, you, when I was watching the Olympics, I ended up watching some cycling by mistake, and it was always you know whoever's in front is in front, but the people you want to watch are not second or third; they're the ones a bit further back. And Leon and Nice are sixth and seventh at the moment. And, I mean, Nice, good Lord, against Monaco. That first half was terrible. And then the second half was utter chaos. And Nice should have won it. But Guiri, um, the the, um, TP team, said, bien raté for his penalty, which, you know, any local wildlife in the stadium would have uh, struggled with that. Lyon did a good job against PSG, were arguably robbed, beat Troyes very comfortably at the weekend, beat Rangers in their first uh, Europa uh, game. They, They look like they are hovering, if you see what I mean. You know, I'm Marseille second, they'll drop off. Angers will drop off. You look at all of, I'm sorry, this includes Lorient, they'll drop off. Lyon and Nice, I think, will maintain this level, and that means they're going to move up the table. And, you know, that's going to be an interesting, interesting situation to watch when we get to the half point in the season but you know it's uh it's an interesting move i think 
you know, uh, we talk about some of the issues about PSG, you know, OL started against PSG with uh, Jérôme Boateng at centre-back. There's been a lot of Discussion. talk about that. Mm. His own brother has decided. Or, or not much talk, as the case may be, yeah. Yeah, so it's been interesting what they're planning to do uh, going forwards. But, yeah, they look like... Both of those sides have the squad to go forward at this level. If another team does it, it's going to be a kind of Montpellier kind of situation where they are playing above themselves consistently. And seven games in is not enough to see that. We need to get to 10, 15, 19 to see if some of those teams that are higher at the moment are going to be able to stay there. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I feel like uh, I feel like Leon are probably the ones with the lesser squad. They're looking at their bench the other night. It was quite alarming how many um, either unknown or very little known players there were. But Nice certainly have the they have the best manager in France for for my money, um, and they have one of the better squads. But, um, Rich, I'll throw another name in, into that, that bracket um, and uh, you, you can throw a pitchfork at Phil if you like. Not literally, but metaphorically. Um, Phil says Marseille will drop off. Um, <laughs> the longer this goes, Rich, the more, the more I'm thinking, and don't get me wrong, a nil-nil draw last night away at Angers is probably not what, uh, not what um, Sam Paoli would have, would have wanted. But I'm, I, I still feel a little bit dirty, but Marseille are... They're just really good. I'm just really impressed with them. And, and I, I don't think they will drop off. And I actually think they might be. I'm not, I don't think they'll challenge PSG, but I do feel like they'll be the closest ones to them when this is all shaken out. Do you feel the same way or, or are you? Oh, my you God, I've this... changed my mind. <laughs> Sorry. Do, do you feel that same way, Rich? I mean, maybe you feel the same as Phil, but I, I just think they've, they've got something there. And that squad even the fringe players, they're stepping up and Bamba Dieng, another one, has come out of nowhere uh, and they're just getting tunes out of players. What, what do you kind of make of them and their situation? I'm probably somewhere between the two of those opinions. On the fence you go. Um, it, it, exactly. <laughs> um, I think Jez mentioned it a couple of podcasts ago, actually. It all depends on whether they can keep up with the intensity of some power because we've only had to see him in the last few weeks. He's quite a fiery guy. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> and it's whether the players can can cope with that and can maintain that on the pitch. You know, there's no doubt that Marseille, with a bit of fire behind them, works. You know, we saw that with, with Bielsa. Mm. But on those occasions with Bielsa... They couldn't see it out. They just ran out of steam. And we can make an argument as to whether that's a Bielsa thing or not, but they ran out of steam after arguably being one of the most impressive teams in the league. And I just get the fear, I think, for Marseille that this could be version two. You know, they are playing some really good football, um, they've got a shape that's working for them. They've got players who are not household names playing well for them. They've got players who are household names playing well for them. 
you know, Saliba has been fantastic. When Doozy has given them that fire in midfield that they really desperately needed. But it hurts. <laughs> and then Dieng, I, I honestly think Dieng has been one of the most exciting players to watch for the last three or four weeks. Yeah, 100%. Um, he's just been lightning. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, you know, it pains me to go back to the Ren game, but, you know, they bought Amin Harrit off the bench and yeah. he scores goal. They've, they've got a little bit more depth than perhaps in previous years. And so maybe when things do start to fade, they actually have the backup that can come in and keep that intensity going. So whilst there is that fear that they do drop off, I think it is ever so slightly different than we have seen before because of that extra depth that they have. You know, they've got um, they've got Milik to come back in. You know, he was he was fantastic that part of last season, I thought, for them. Yeah. They got him to come back in, proper, you know, sort of centre-forward goal-scoring threat. You've then got Dieng lightning down whichever side he wants to go down, really. And they, they, they do look a threatening team. Um, it is Marseille. So as an underlying, you know, an undercurrent, all of that, they have the Marseille knack of you know, and risk for implosion. Yeah. But at this moment in time, they are, they are a, a, a great watch. Um, and as I say, keeping that intensity up will be key. If they can, then, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put them slightly ahead of, of anyone else in terms of challenge, you know, challenges for second place, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but That's yeah, it's it's nice to see. We've said this so many times. A a good entertaining Marseille is good for the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and and fingers crossed. Certainly, the early signs are good, but fingers crossed. That's what we've got here. Yeah, and just that PSG on, game will be interesting. Yeah, go on. Then. Um, just on OM. Um, uh, obviously, we heard earlier in the week. Uh, earlier today that there was uh, a traffic accident with some OM supporters coming back from the Angers game mm. and uh, one fan has very sadly died another eight are in hospital as a result um, the club has shared their um, condolences and their support and obviously we do the same yeah. horrible to hear that uh, that happened um, yeah. hope that all of the surviving members of that crash um, get out of hospital okay and are alright and our thoughts are with the family and friends of the person who died obviously. yeah absolutely and a tough week off the pitch for Marseille as well I think they lost the uh, very prominent member of their supporters, yes. didn't they, off the pitch as well? So yeah, it's been a been a pretty tough season, really. Um, if you look back at some of the things that have, have gone on, but um, speaking of or, or bringing bringing the mood back up, Phil, um, I want to touch on uh, I want to touch on Monaco. Um, quite a nice, uh, good little good news story. Um, as as listeners will probably know, listening to this podcast, I'm no Tottenham fan, but it was quite 
nice to see Glenn Hoddle back at, at Monaco on their Instagram today. He shared a few pictures of him meeting Sesk and Ben Yedda and Nico Kovac. And he looks in excellent health, which, given what happened to him recently, was really nice to see one of their greats return. And on the pitch, it's... um. It's stuttering, but it, it, it's coming back. The game of St Etienne last night, they, they won 3-1 um, and largely deserved it, but the game changed on that Etienne red card, uh, Etienne green red card. But they, um, the, I thought St Etienne were probably the better side for 20 minutes until that red, and, and even when they equalised, they were still in that game. Is it uh, is it a case of second season syndrome for Kovac and Monica, or is it just a case of they played... 486 games before anyone else had started this season because they seem to have played a lot of football already. I think it's uh, it's a mixture of things. I mean, Santetian maybe have pulled themselves together a bit due to various news rumours that we may come to later. Um, I was watching some of this and um, it felt like were they playing behind closed doors? They weren't, but I think it's just the, the classic case of the yeah. insert joke here, Monaco. It, you know, it's an awkward no, kickoff you time. Could hear, um, Kovac was basically giving instructions in two languages, one mm. after the other, and it, that, I mean, that must be very tough on you. Yeah. Um, but they do look to be as you say, pulling themselves together a bit. And it's all going to depend on who are they playing because currently they're, what, 13th? Mm-hmm. But, you know, one win would put them up to sixth. It's yeah. still a very compact table. So I think in that kind of sense, they play Clermont next. I'm not making any judgments, but we did mention the 6 0 earlier. So yeah. <clears throat> and will again. That might well might well happen. So, mm. you know, they're uh, they're a team I think that still has a lot of uh depth. Maybe no standout players in any particular position. Yeah. But sufficient if they keep things together to uh, to make that work so again wouldn't be surprised to see them climbing back up the table pretty swiftly uh to be in the top six yeah yeah the, the squad itself i think is is too good to not be and certainly the expectations are that they they should be up there which um seamlessly rich leads me into Lille. um I kind of defended them at the start of the season because, you know, they were brilliant last year and, and we want to see a competitive league, et cetera, and so on, and all the things that go with it. But Jocelyn Govanek sort of inherited a squad which obviously won the title last year. I I personally feel like they're running out of excuses a little bit, or he is anyway, running out of excuses a little bit, because when I think we, if we all sat here at, at, over the summer after Lille had lifted that that title last season, I think we probably will, would have all put money on the fact that six, seven, eight, nine players from that squad would have been stripped and they would have been, you know, essentially acid stripped and have to start again. That hasn't happened. I mean, yes, Mike Mannion is is was a is and was a key presence in that in that back line and fair play to him for standing up for uh, certain things this week in Italy, but less said about that, the better. Um but, you know, he's gone and Samare, who, as talented as he can be on his day, wasn't, I wouldn't say, a first-team regular for Lille. 
like is it is it purely a coaching issue that the Govanek has tried to change too much too soon because that Lille squad is still the most of the skeleton of it is still the championship winning side why are they so bad um I don't know if it's necessary that Govanek has tried to change too much I think it just comes down to the simple fact that he's not Christoph Gautier no true um Magnon is a big loss yeah. big big loss um Without a shadow of a doubt, probably bigger than. I mean, I, you could make a pretty strong argument that his loss is probably more important. You know, he was as he was as important as anyone else in that championship winning team, and so his loss is enormous. But Galtier is another level of of importance, and his loss without a shadow of a doubt, is the single biggest factor for the reason why we're seeing Lille performers. They they have been this season. Um, Gorvanek, lovely guy, clearly isn't the right guy. But it was, no matter who came in, was going to find it so incredibly tough because, you know, they were never going to bring in a big name because of financial restrictions so they had to really really sort of go down several pegs to get to a level where they could hire somebody and you know it was just so it just so happened to be that Gorvanek was at that level and was free um he he's not it's not a right fit it, it really isn't and unfortunately for Gorvanek this is becoming a bit of a recurring theme with his um, managerial roles ever since his initial stint at Gangle. So I, I don't see it lasting a great deal longer. Um, the players have to bear a significant amount of responsibility. As you say, they haven't seen the wholesale changes that maybe we thought when they lifted the trophy. Um, you know, the vast majority of that squad is still there, but they're just not performing. You know, the loss against Lance, while Yilmaz missed two very simple chances in that game that last season he would have scored. Yeah. And all of a sudden, 2-1, we're talking about a completely different, a different story. Um They've also had a bit of bad luck in that same game. Jean-Louis Lecker produced an absolutely ridiculous yeah. triple save. That <laughs> um, I mean, I've watched it back a few times and you find yourself questioning, how, how has he done that? <laughs> yeah. I, I still don't know how he's yeah. done that, but mm-hmm. it was remarkable. So they're not having, they're not, they haven't got luck on their side, um, but definitely the players have to get better they have to improve because a a significant amount aren't at the level of last season now you can dock off a few percentage points for that Galtier effect but the drop-off of quality that we have seen is not solely down to Galtier these are professional players who should always be performing at their best Gorvanek hasn't done anything um overly creative or overly different in terms of the tactics. He's lost, 
I mean, you could make an argument he's lost two central midfielders because Renato Sanchez is a wall. Yeah. Um, Man Young gone, Sumare gone. Um, yeah, players just aren't aren't clicking yet this season. Gorvanek will bear some responsibility, and ultimately he'll be the one that leaves. But the players, I think, have to be have to be better, have to step up, yeah. have to get something. I mean, even if they were seventy five percent of last season, that's still significantly better than where a lot of them are performing this season. Mm. So the players definitely have to look at themselves and think, okay, some of them may be thinking, okay, we didn't get the big move we thought we were. Um, But they seem to then have taken their eye off the ball. They need to focus. They need to perform. And, you know, 10th place would do for Lille, I think, this season. Mm. Um, But... You know they're just not they're just not playing very well. Um, I don't know who would come in if Gorvenek does go, but Gorvenek isn't the right fit. But as I said, the players have to take it upon themselves to improve as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a Spanish manager I can I can uh, <laughs> offer them if they want one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's a very very good point. Um, we will um, we will move on to a couple of uh, other subjects in a in a brief second. Just very sort of briefly, I just wanted to to scoot through a couple of other bits of business. Um, Phil, the bottom end. Uh, here's a stat that that might may or may not blow your mind. Between the bottom four clubs, which are currently Trois and Etienne and Metz, uh, one win across twenty games between the four of them. Um, in the last 20 games between the four, which is kind of nuts. Uh, St Etienne are the ones that stand out. I'll let Jez defend Mets sort of next week or when he's next on. Um, Brest, I think we, we thought would struggle as with Trois, but it's St Etienne and then just above them, Bordeaux, are the two that I really pick out at the moment. Uh, I mean, Bordeaux it... shows signs of pulling themselves together. Yes, which after a horrendous start, I think is good. But yeah, South Etienne is like last season we were discussing them going, how were they down there? Mm. And then this season we're going, ah, that's why they're down there. So this whole potential takeover from a Thai prince or a I... Cambodian, I think. Yes, uh, like, somewhere in that area. Because their league, um, yeah, they need help. I mean, they have their uh, transfer market was basically no one in, no one out because there was no one to buy and they didn't have any money to buy anyone. So it's basically Roma Muma um, trying to keep things afloat and Still. it's not working. And they need help. So who knows? But yeah, seeing a name like that down there, there is troubling. Names, yeah, yeah, two, two, two of those in particular clubs. Yeah, definitely some uh, room for improvement. Um, it'd be unfair for me to not give you a few minutes on Renrich. And, and also, 
Um, I'll let you go into Ren, but I want to ask you a straightforward question here because I'm going to continue to bang this drum. Is that Ludovic Jork good enough to play for France? Because every time I watch this guy play for Strasbourg, I just think he's just such a, a fun striker to watch. And in the era where Olivier Giroud is seemingly now banished to Italy forevermore, I just look at his undefendability, which is not a word, but I've just created it. And I just think that if he was at a bigger club, more people would be looking at him. So please feel free to, to have a word about your beloved Ren. But I just wanted to kind of ask the adult question and whether you think I'm just a bit lovesick or whether you actually think he's good <laughs> enough for that level. There's, there's certainly, there is an argument that exists that, that Azure, had he been playing for a bigger club, would have had a lot more notice because he is effective at what he does. Um, in terms of opportunities for France, I think that's pretty slim. Um, to almost non-existent um, and that's not necessarily on a jork that's more I think that unless Deschamps decides to go back to the formation that worked for Giroud you know a jork could you know feasibly be a slightly younger maybe slightly fitter mm. maybe slightly more agile version of Giroud but on the basis that you know the vast majority don't want Deschamps to go back to a World Cup winning setup for some <laughs> crazy reason I don't unfortunately sorry to burst the bubble but I unfortunately don't see it happening but no, there, there's certainly an argument to be made that you know players at a certain level should be looked at in just as much uh, with just as much sort of favour, I suppose, um, as if they were playing for a big club, bigger club. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, I think I think that's fair, and um, that that does sort of bring us on to Randy because there's a few few players that I'm sure you've you've picked up on that are having a lovely time at the moment. Things are things are on the up, particularly Europe. As yeah, well, with the, the draws. Yeah, goals. I mean, if we start off with the, the, the slightly doom and gloom, I mean, the match against Marseille. I mean, I turned that off. I just was fed up <laughs> after you know miserable performance against Angers, miserable performance against Reims. Um, you know this pretty weak performance against Marseille. I, I didn't watch to the end. I did. I did the version of you know walking out of the stadium. I hit the off button and went for a sit in the garden and <laughs> cool down. Um, but then everything completely changed. And I think first and foremost, credit has to go to Genesio. Yeah. You know, he made some changes in that squad. Um, he brought in two young players in defence. He brought in Lorenzo Assignon at right back for Hamari Traore. And he brought in uh, Wamed Amari um, in place of like, Bardet at centre-back. And considering that was, that was, that was certainly Assignon's first start... I mean, they perform brilliant. I think everything from the game last night has to just be caveated with, you know, Claremont were poor. Claremont were without arguably their best um, best defender, Gastien, who was, who was out, out suspended. But Wren still went out and performed a bit of an attacking clinic. Um, it highlighted just how important Martin Terrier is. And if he stays fit, 
he is such a good, good player. Um, it's the fitness that is the big question mark on him. He stays fit. He is he is a quality player. It also highlighted, as you said in the intro, Flaviante is not even slowly, quite quickly becoming a very important player in this team. From somebody who was on the fringe, and I wasn't particularly his biggest fan, he, under Genesio, has turned it around. And he is now suddenly central to a lot of excellent things for them. Um, Suleimana, I mean, we saw on the opening day what he can do, and then we've seen bits, glimpses, ever so slightly what else he can do. But, I mean, I implore anybody to go and watch his, I think it was his first goal last night, because the one-touch passing and movement between him, Bergamelling and Terrier, you, you transfer that move to, you know, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Juventus, Bar- um, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, it would be all over social media as this is insane, this is ridiculous. It almost reminded me back to, you know, the the um, Jack Wilshere's goal for Arsenal against, was against Norwich. Norwich, yeah, yeah. There was something akin to that. It was just nothing you could defend against. Yeah. Nobody could have defended against that level of first-touch passing and movement between the three of them. Berger Melling, um, I would add, has impressed me an unbelievable amount. Mm. He is, I think, as I said in an earlier podcast, he is a really nice guy, but he's also a really good player. Um, and he's he's a great guy to have in the squad. Um, and another interesting and quite important thing that I was pleased to see last night was ben, with with Hamori Traore on the bench Benjamin Borjo was given the captain's armband yeah. and you know god love Hamori Traore and what he has done for the team but Lorenz Assignon could well be the future and I certainly think Borjo should be given that captain's armband on a permanent basis because considering he's from the north considering he's a he's a lance boy He's he is Ren. He is the heartbeat, I think, of that team. You know, he there's there's the sort of Benjamin Andre quality to him, in so much as he doesn't necessarily do anything flashy, but he does the basics well and he works his ass off for the team. Yeah. And I mean, he got a couple of assists last night, captain the team. He was really, really good last night. And he's been an underrated player, I think, very much like Benjamin Andre for for quite a a number of seasons now. Mm. Um, I can only hope now that that such a performance and such a win can be the catalyst now for positive progression. It's going to be interesting on Sunday um, with the game away at Bordeaux because Bordeaux themselves have shown over the last couple of weeks that they are also um, improving. So it's going to be a very interesting game. I'm hoping that this can be used as a boost 
for you know that encouragement after a pretty woeful month or so we can take a lot from that game certainly the players that were dropped have to start asking questions it was a formation that worked it was very much more closely lined up to a 4-4-2 rather than a 4-3-3 where Laborde is is out of position where Borjo is slightly out of position we saw at Montpellier Laborde works best I think as 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 part of a, a two up front yeah and him and Terrier, they've got movement, they've got ball control, they've got passing ability. Let them continue. Garassi is a great option off the bench, and we've got a couple of youngsters as well that can provide some of that. But, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding like Mike Bassett, I do want us to go back and, and give 4-4-2 a go, because I think that is something that, that really could yield some really good results from this squad. So... It's obviously a super performance. It's the first time we won by six goals since I think 1965, something like that. Um, but there are a number of caveats to that. And of course, it counts for nothing if we don't continue that kind of form on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, well said, well said. It's, uh, it's good times. It's definitely good times. Um, as far as the rest of... Uh, we did just want to give a nod to the European action and, and believe me there's a number of other clubs we could cover but we'll save those for another day um phil any teams that particularly caught your eye from the first opening we, we kind of mentioned friends performance for spurs we mentioned psg flat to deceive in their particular tie anything else capture your your interest in that first round of, of european ties for french clubs i think it's mostly that ren did a good job against spurs um in is that the Europa League or the Europa League conference thing? I get confused. The, the Mar- Marseille are in the conference league. Oh, no, no, no. Brand of the conference. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, so Marseille are in the full. Yeah. Marseille. Europa. Okay. Yeah. Well, I see. I've got that. I was backwards then. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was um, highly amusing for many people to see uh, Club Brugge. Um, equalised against PSG. Um, OL beat Rangers. Cool. Marseille got knacked in the last minute by Lokomotiv of Moscow. But yes, it was um, Ren kind of hanging on against Spurs, which was um, very impressive and a bit of a pity that Heiberg got the got the winner late on but you know we'll we'll see how things go but um psg's result i think is the interesting one because in that group <laughs> you want to be kind of um getting the results on the board so we'll see what happens in the next round yeah yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting couple of weeks because we've got the European action that, that kicks back into gear again next week. Uh, PSG have got the the big game, if you will, against Manchester City, which is on the Tuesday. Um, that's at uh, Parc de France, so that'll be one to keep an eye on. Lille are uh, away at, at Salzburg. That's his both Champions League. That's on the Wednesday. And then on the Thursday games, uh, these are an absolute nightmare to find our way through. Uh, Leon uh, against Bromby, or Brombu, whichever you pronounce it. That's the 5.45 kickoff UK time. It's really bizarre. 
and uh, Marseille play Galatasaray. Um, I'm sure there'll be nothing to see there. I'm sure it'll be a nice, quiet, quiet evening at the velodrome. Nothing much to discuss. Um, I'm sure that will be very peaceful. Um, Red not playing this particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mon- so Mon- Monaco are also in the Europa League. They're away yeah. at Sociedad. Of course they are. Why? Why are um, games not showing up? Oh, I know why. Ren are away at Vitesse. I've just Vitesse found on. on the site I use. They don't even list the Conference League as like a. They don't even have it as notable fixtures. How 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 disingenuous! You're absolutely right. Yeah, so those two games are also on the Thursday. So we will keep you across those uh, games next week. Um, so to uh, round off this week's podcast, and um, we've gone a bit longer this week because we wanted to to get as much in as we could because obviously we have missed a fair amount of games. Uh, let's have a brief look ahead to the weekend's games. I think am I right in saying this is the last round before the next Euro interlol? I think it might be. I think it is. Uh, looks ahead, yes, because the first week is October the... Oh, actually, no, we have got a round on October the 1st, so maybe this is the penultimate week. Anyway, this weekend's games, we've got St Etienne against Nice, which may be a, a fun watch. Uh, two big rivals there, that's on Saturday at 4pm. Followed up by Strasbourg against Lille. We've mentioned Lille there, very much in need of another win, you'd think. Strasbourg finding some form. We've got uh, Lyon against Lorient, only one winner there, clearly. That's the evening game on the Saturday as is PSG against Montpellier, which I'm sure Phil will be watching from behind the sofa. And uh, on the Sunday, we've got Bordeaux against Rennes. Uh, further opportunity for your guys for there, Rich, to pick up some points, you would think. Uh, Brest host Mets in a sort of bottom end of the table clash, which, I'm, again, I'm sure Jez will be eagerly uh, eagerly anticipating. Uh, Rams against Nantes. it be interesting to see if the Comboro effect continues in the away game there for Nantes. Trois against Angers is the other 2pm game, followed by the afternoon and evening games. Clermont hosts Monaco in the 4pm game and uh, Marseille on a Sunday evening slot. Who would have thought that will never get old? They host Lons. Might be a decent watch that at the Velodrome with Lons's uh, particular form at the moment. Should be a, a decent watch. Any of those games tickle your fancy, either of you at all? It will be an awful game to watch. <laughs> yeah. But Brest v Mets is a big I game. I had a feeling you were going to pick that one. Yeah. Yeah. It is a big game. Um, it, it Chances are, I mean, it could be a blinder. It could well be a blinder, but chances are it's not going to be pretty. Um, it certainly won't be yielding perhaps much in terms of out and out quality, but it's a big game. Two teams without a win so far. Um, someone's got to come away with something. <laughs> yeah, I suppose true. we can at least take that. But yeah, that's that's a big, big game. Uh, to get that first win on the board will be vital. Um, and to do it against who will inevitably be one of your right relegation rivals um, is just as important. Mm. Any of uh, I, would, I would agree with that. By the way, it may not be pretty, but it'll be worth the watch. Any of those um, stand out for you, filming? Are you going to watch from behind the sofa as Montpellier goes? Yeah, PDP? I will. I will. I cannot kind of look at anything else other than holy shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And I, I of course will be keeping tabs on on Leon Lorient because they're two of the form teams in in the league, and um, we didn't really have chance to to, to discuss them. So I'm just going to take over for thirty seconds and and just say what a, I tweeted it earlier on. But 
all, all sort of um, loyalties aside, what a fantastic job Policier is, is doing at, at Lorient. And indeed, some of the players there. I mean, Terra Moffi staying was a massive bonus, but some of the other players that are stepping up, mentioned Moncondri, Lauren Abagel is is just one of those players I just love to watch. Enzo Lefay is proving that, that he is likely to get a bigger move to a bigger club at some point, which kind of makes me sad, but he's just a, a silky ball-playing uh, kind of number 10 position, if you like. Uh, Paul Nardi has found form back in goal once again, which uh, I think looking at the start of last season when he was dropped, I'm not sure anyone really saw really saw coming. They're just they're just really fun to watch right now, and, and they're impressing in every game. The home form has just been fantastic. And I think if you'd have said, just surviving last season, if you'd have said to me after after the games played this season that, that Lorion would be sat in fifth after seven games, only one defeat, three draws, three wins, I'd be very happy with that. Don't get it wrong, it's a long season, but I'm beaten in four now. No, I, putting aside my behind-the-sofa thing, <laughs> um, I I fancy your lads to get something from this. So do I. So do I. Yeah, I, I do I'd as well. I'd say a point rather than three, but mm. that would look eminently doable. They're, they're very good oh. counter-attacking around this season. They, they seem mm-hmm. to have got something on, and Moffy's pace will always unsettle any defence, uh, particularly one that might have Damien De Silva in it, for example, if depending on who's playing. But yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of fancy uh, something as well. And it's it's making my um, my plans to uh, to visit Moustoir even more interesting. I, I'm definitely planning a trip over there. It'll probably be in 2022, realistically, because of, you know, the world and it being a bit mental. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely planning to go across the channel at some point. So Speaking of the Moustoir, I did promise you, actually. Uh, yeah. Oh, you did? Yes. An, an, an interesting... Uh, a uh, little snippet about uh, about Lorient. Um and it's always a sign of a good team to really make your home a fortress. And the last time Lorient lost at home was way back in February. They have gone since then without losing at home, and they have played some big, big teams. I say some decent teams in that um, as well. And yeah, February was the last time, and they've only lost twice at home in all of 2021. That is kind of nuts, isn't it? Yeah, I so think was it was it Lille. Uh, I think it was Lille. It was Lille back in February that beat yeah. them. Yeah, um, yeah. All of a sudden, the Moustoir is 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 that fortress. I think that Lorient need, mm, um, and it's uh, it's great to see. I always like seeing a a uh, a team like that having a stadium that the big teams really don't like going to. Mm. Yes, always used to be Bastia. Yeah, yeah. When when Bastia were a thing, I mean they are still a thing, of course now. But yeah, yeah, I I do like I do like some of their old grounds. And and one other thing I I noticed in the weekends league and action, I don't know whether it was just that they got the acoustics wrong, but did anyone else hear the um the the static as Icardi's um winning goal went in the PDP? The noise from the ultras was incredible and I say I don't know whether it was just that the mics were positioned badly um but there was I mean it was it was like they were going to break the microphones it was that loud a roar as that that ball went in so I don't know whether there's anything in that but that atmosphere is fantastic and with crowds back in stadium 
and obviously I'm watching a, a fair amount of English football with my Arsenal connections. I genuinely think France has had some of the best atmospheres in in European football this season. Genuinely, and, and combined with some of the most idiotic. France I was just going to say, yeah, we we maybe will mention that next week if uh, when the next <clears> exciting <throat> episode comes about. But there is this running joke now that if you are losing in the uh, just simply chuck all your uh, all your fans onto the pitch and you'll get to play the game again. So, um, but yeah, all jokes aside, it, it definitely. Um, it definitely is, is. It's not a good side of the French league that is creeping in. Uh, but all this talk of um, the French league becoming the fifth best league in Europe and all that, whatever, you know, whatever. Let, let them talk. We'll just keep enjoying what we watch. Um, I can think of no better way to end this week's podcast. So uh, thank you, um, as always, for, for everyone for bearing with us. Um, as we have said before, I don't really feel like we need to justify it, but hell, I'm going to anyway. Um, we are just uh, four humble souls. And... Um, Sometimes life does get in the way. Um, I mean, we're blaming Phil entirely because she presses the buttons. So she had <laughs> so greedy to move house. We would have been cool. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, life does get in the way sometimes. And, and apologies. Uh, we're, we're not funded by a very large TV company, I'm afraid. So uh, we, we do what we do. And, um, and we appreciate you all listening to us. But uh, keep, uh, keep the faith. We will um, aim to return next week on the Monday as scheduled. That's the plan. Uh, where we will, of course, look back at the weekend's action and uh, have a little look forward, maybe in a bit more depth, to those European games as well. So uh, thank you both to Rich and for Phil for uh, making the time work this week. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. you. And as I say, we will be back uh, more likely, more than likely with Jess and Toe as well on Monday to discuss all the weekend's games. Until then, enjoy your French football and uh, stay off the pitch.